invite you to turn in your Bibles to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9. Isaiah in chapter 9 is a passage that is traditionally associated with Christmas. I understand that. But this past week, I noticed a verse tucked into this passage of Isaiah 9 that talks explicitly about harvest time. And that's why we're meditating on this passage today. So I'll read it, Isaiah 9 and verses 1 to 6. And then we'll pray and ask for the Lord's help. Isaiah 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together and ask for his help in understanding and applying it. Holy Father, thank you for your holy scriptures. Thank you that they do not change or fade. They're not more true or less true, but they are always entirely true. I pray that you'd help us to reflect on these words that you spoke through your prophet Isaiah. These words that have meant so much to so many people over the years and that now we reflect on again. Pray that you'd help us to understand what it is that you're saying here and how that applies to our lives today. In Christ's name, amen. All right, well, I'm sure you spotted the harvest verse. It's verse 3. It says, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, and they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. That verse simply assumes that we will rejoice with joy at the harvest. That verse doesn't make sense unless people naturally rejoice with joy at the harvest. And this morning we're just going to ask a simple question. Why? Why is it fitting? Why is it appropriate? Why is it good for us to rejoice with joy at the harvest? That's the question we're trying to answer this morning. I'm going to briefly give four reasons. I'm sure you could think of more. It's not a comprehensive list, but I'll give four reasons why we should rejoice with joy at the harvest. But before I do, I think it's worth pointing out that rejoicing with joy at the harvest is kind of a dying art. And that's because for many people, the food that we eat on a daily basis has been separated, in our minds at least, has been separated in our, in our daily experience as well, 
has been separated from the land on which it was grown. We eat the food, but there's not an obvious and explicit connection to the land for many of us. There's not an obvious connection to the cycle of the seasons as it relates to the food that we find on our plates. And that's because you can get pretty much any fresh produce you want any time of the year in a grocery store, whether it's in season or out of season. It's there in the store to be purchased. And as a result, people who don't live on farms or don't at the very least have a garden don't have any reason to pause and think about the seasonal cycle of preparing the soil and planting seeds in the soil and cultivating the soil and waiting for the harvest and watching it grow and then finally harvesting the crop. Now I know that here at Ebenezer, our congregation is very much tied to the land and to the rhythm of the seasons. We don't take that for granted. We're very aware of the seasons and the impact that they have on our daily lives and on our food. That's, that's not true for most humans these days, most of whom live in an urban setting. The harvest cycle for a city dweller is that you work hard all week and harvest comes every two weeks or every month when you get your paycheck and then you go and you bring in the harvest by going to the grocery store. Now listen, I'm not complaining about that. It's good. It's good that we have abundant grocery stores. But one of the drawbacks is that many people lose the connection to the God-ordained seasons and cycles. God built a day of rest into the week, into every single week, and he built seasons of feasting and resting and rejoicing right into the year, every year. You remember that when God made his, his covenant promise to Noah, the Noahic covenant in the Old Testament, you remember he promised after all that carnage, after the flood and the wiping out of most of humanity, he promised that he will never again strike down every living creature. That's the part that most people remember of the Noahic covenant, that God promised not to wipe out all the living creatures again. But he also, in the context of that covenant, he also said this, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. The Noahic covenant includes a promise from God that he will maintain the seasons as long as the earth remains. There's goodness in the different seasons. There's a reason that you feel different in winter and spring and summer than you do in autumn. Harvest is a time for rejoicing. Built into the calendar year, a time for rejoicing. Why is that? Well, I'll give four reasons. You can come up with more this afternoon, I'm sure. But here's four. First, at harvest time, we are rejoicing at the culmination of our hard work. Two weeks ago, when we were looking at the book of 1 Thessalonians, we talked about the fact that part of what it means to be made in the image of God is that we were made to work. Work is good. Work done right glorifies God. But work is also hard. It's hard. And work is always forward-looking, right? You're, you're, you're working now in the moment, but you're moving towards something, towards a future goal when you work. And when you reach a goal after working hard, that's cause for rejoicing. 
You see it on runners' faces when they cross the finish line. You watch someone complete their very first marathon, and they're rejoicing. I mean, they're in pain, but they're also rejoicing. And they're not just rejoicing because of the effort that they put in that day, although it was a lot of effort that day. But when they cross that finish line, they are rejoicing over all the hours of running, all the early mornings, all the training, all the uncomfortable long runs in the wind or in the rain, all the injuries. And on race day, all of that collective effort has accumulated and culminated when they cross the finish line. And that's the basic emotion at harvest time as well. Harvest is the culmination of a whole lot of hard work. Planning in the winter, preparing and planting in the spring, cultivating and watching and waiting in the summer, and then finally harvesting in the fall. If producing crops was quick and easy, right? If you planted one day and then you harvested the very next day, uh, then there, 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 there wouldn't be as much of incentive to rejoice at the harvest. But it is neither quick nor easy. And so when the work is done and the harvest is in, there is cause for celebrating. Now, so far there's nothing explicitly Christian about that. Everyone instinctively knows that after a time of hard work, it's time for resting and rejoicing and enjoying the fruits of your labors. Almost all cultures have some sort of equivalent to Thanksgiving, a harvest festival, but Christians cannot stop there. In fact, we've only begun rejoicing at the harvest when we rejoice at the culmination of our hard work. The fact of the matter is that we work hard, but it is the Lord. It is the Lord who provides for all of our needs, and it is ultimately towards the Lord, not towards our own efforts, not towards our own hard work, but towards the Lord that we, reject, that we direct our rejoicing. 1 Corinthians 4, er, 3, 7, Paul states, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. In that context, Paul was talking about his labor in ministry, but it's, that's equally true of literal planting and watering and growing. Farmers do an awful lot of hard work, but ultimately, it is the Lord who makes that work fruitful. And every year, the harvest that it, that, that, that's brought off the fields is a testimony to God's glory. And the harvest that comes every year is no less miraculous than the manna that the Israelites harvested on the way to the promised land. Right? That, that, that situation was a little more explicitly miraculous, but really, if you think about it, it's no less of a miracle. You remember the story, right? The Israelites run out of food. They're on their way to the promised land. And uh, they, because they're on a journey, because they're traveling nomads at this moment, they can't just stop, settle in, and plant crops. And so God says to them, well, that's a problem for you, but that's not a problem for me. See, normally, I know I use this cycle of the seasons and your hard work to provide food for you, but I don't have to do it that way. And tomorrow, your work is simply going to be you walk out of your tent and you gather up the harvest. You let me worry about the preparing and the planting and the planting and the cultivating and, and the baking. 
And sure enough, the next day, the Israelites walked out of their tents. They looked out and they saw with their own eyes, they tasted with their own mouths, that the Lord had abundantly provided for all of their needs. And that was miraculous. That was cause for great rejoicing because they were in a situation whereby they could not provide for their own needs. They were totally dependent on God. They knew it. And he met them in their moment of need and provided exactly what they needed, a miracle. But it's really no less miraculous when God provides for our needs by making the soil and the seeds and by giving us the strength to, to plant and to cultivate, by calling forth the sun to shine, by sending rain to water, by causing the seeds to germinate and sprout and grow and bud and blossom and bear fruit. It's the Lord who provides the strength to the farmers to, to do the harvest. And it's a miracle from start to finish. The whole thing is a miracle. It's a slow-motion miracle. But a miracle nonetheless. And it's not only appropriate, but it is necessary that we would return thanks to God for the miracle of yet another harvest. And that word, another, yet another, another harvest, that brings us to our next point, our third point. Harvest is not a one-time event like the exodus that happened once and it never has to happen again. Harvest is an annual recurring event. It's an every year event. Every year, God gives us exactly what we need by providing once again yet another harvest. God has set it up such that our dependence on God is built into the yearly cycle of life. It's built into it. There's no getting away from our dependence on God. We don't, we don't just need a harvest like once a century or, or once a decade, but we need a harvest every single year. We need it. How long, just think about this, how long do you think humans, globally, humans, all of us, would last if, if the harvest stopped coming? Just done. Nothing is going to yield fruit anymore starting now. No more harvests. Scientists estimate that all the grain and the plants that are currently stored on the earth right now could feed humanity for about three months, maybe four. Add to that all the food that is currently stored in people's homes, on their cupboards, in their basement, in their fridge. Add to that all the animals that are currently alive on the earth right now that might be eaten for food. Take all of that, and it's estimated that humans would last about a year, maybe slightly longer, maybe 14 months, before entirely running out of all food resources. That's how quickly the global population would burn through our storehouses if God didn't bring yet another harvest every single year. Now, I realize that the quality of the harvest varies from place to place each year. Some places experience drought and flooding. Some places don't bring in a harvest at all because of that. And that can result in lack of food and famine in a local area, in a particular area on the globe. But the reality is there's always enough to go around. Always, always. And when one area does poorly, another prospers. That is how God set it up. And if we would only love our neighbors as ourselves and share the bounty that God faithfully provides, there would always be enough for everyone every year. So what we need, humans, what we collectively need, we're all in the same boat, is a consistent, regularly recurring harvest. And that is exactly what we get. 
And that fact not only causes us to rejoice at harvest, right? This is not a luxury. This is a need. We rejoice at harvest, but it's also a testimony to the character of God. That fact brings us not only what we need for our physical survival every harvest, every year, but also the fact that God sends a harvest every year meets not only our physical needs, but is a reminder of the assurance of our salvation. Right? Our God is a God who knows our needs, who faithfully and consistently provides what we need when we need it, and he will not forsake us or abandon us. He provides soil and sun and rain every single year, and he, pr- he gives body strength and energy to work hard because that's what we need, and he provides it. And in a similar way, he also provided his own son to die on the cross to pay for our sins because that's ultimately what we needed and he provided it. So we rejoice with joy at harvest because harvest is a reminder that our God is a God who sees our needs, who knows our needs, and who faithfully, consistently provides for our needs. And that's actually what this passage in Isaiah 9 is all about. God providing his people exactly what they need. Exactly what they need, he provides. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. People in darkness need light, and that's what he gave them. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You, God, have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For to us, to us, a child is born. For to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We need food to survive, and the Lord of the harvest provides a harvest every year. And we rejoice with great joy at the harvest. But we don't live by bread alone. We need more than bread. Even greater than our physical needs are our spiritual needs. We are not able in ourselves, in our own strength, to satisfy God's perfect standard of holiness. And so what we need is a Savior that can come and pay the debt that we can't pay, our debt for our sins. And the Lord of the harvest provides exactly what we need. Unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And we rejoice before the Lord as with joy at the harvest. Our rejoicing at the harvest takes place at a specific time of the year when the actual harvest is brought in. But the gift of God's Son, who shone a light on us when we walked in darkness, who has secured our salvation through His one-time sacrifice on the cross, that gift is cause for rejoicing all year round in any circumstance. That is a gift that we possess and that can never be taken away from us. And that brings us to our final point, harvest time provides us with a time to rejoice at the expectation of our own harvest. What I mean by that is that we're the crop. Ultimately, we are the crop. That's what all these thanksgivings are pointing to. You can think of thanksgiving as a metaphor pointing forward to the day when you and I are harvested. One day, the Lord will reap us. He will reap me, and he will reap you. And that is good news. The 
According to the book of Revelation, the destroying angel, the angel of death, will harvest a crop that will be cast away from the Lord's presence. That's a crop too. And that's going to be harvested too. And that's going to be cast, according to the Bible, cast away from the presence of the Lord. But we're told that the Lord himself is the one who will go out and gather unto himself with his golden sickle the crop that he himself has sown. His people, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world and called by his name. He will harvest us. And we wait eagerly for the day. The earthly harvesting of the crops each year points to this, reminds us that in this world, in this world, we grow right alongside the tares, right? It's all mixed in the field. But we wait for the day when our Savior will harvest us and will take us to be with him forever. And that expectation of our own harvesting causes us to rejoice with great joy at the harvest today. So on this day, we rejoice at the culmination of all the hard work that goes into preparing, planting, cultivating, harvesting a crop. And we rejoice that it is the Lord himself who miraculously gives us the strength to work and provides for all of our needs. And we rejoice that the Lord provides for our needs not just once, but over and over and over and over again as a testimony to his character of covenant faithfulness. And finally, we rejoice at the reminder that one day we too will be harvested by the Lord himself and he will bring us home to be with him forever in his garden where he will continue to provide for our needs forever. Let's pray together. Holy Father, thank you for bringing us to another season of harvesting and rejoicing. And I do pray that you would enable and empower us to rejoice with great joy. To rejoice with great joy at the harvest. To rejoice with great joy at your abundant provision. To rejoice with great joy that you are a God who sees our needs and who delights to meet our needs. And not just once, but over and over and over again. You are a need-meeting God and a covenant-keeping God. And we rejoice over that. And Lord, too, we rejoice as we think about the future and the day when we ourselves will be harvested. And you will gather up your people and bring us home to yourself to be with you forever. And on this day of rejoicing in the harvest, we look forward to that day when we will be harvested by you and in your presence. In Christ's name, amen.